the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTPN Pinellas Park. So you start rehearsing. And listen, for us, it goes more than Israel. We, if you know Christ, we are his children. God is faithful. He's a loving father. If you're his child and he's faithful and taking care of you, and you've got to remember what he's done in the past. You've got to remember that he's the one who's taking care of you when nobody else cared about you. He's the one who has done in the past for you what no one else would do. And so that gives you great confidence to face anything, absolutely anything in the future. In 1926, Lee DeForest, inventor of the cathode ray tube, said that television was theoretically feasible, but impossible to actually manufacture. He would not waste time dreaming about it. In 1943, Thomas J. Watson, chairman of the board of IBM, said that he thought there was a world market for five computers. A recording company expert in 1962 said, We don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. Guitar groups are on their way out. People are not very good at predicting the future, but we do it anyway. I think Corey Tenboom had the best advice when the future is uncertain or even ominous. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside, and these radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. The Old Testament prophets had the rare opportunity to see a portion of the future as God shared with them parts of his great plan of redemption. But Habakkuk was more than a little disturbed by what God revealed to him. Habakkuk saw incredible suffering in Judah's future. Even so, he was able to rejoice. How could he rejoice in the midst of grief? He submitted to God's will in the present. He remembered God's provision in the past, and that led, as we'll see today, to confident trust in God's continuing provision in the future. In the first 15 verses of chapter 3, Habakkuk sang of God's past victories on behalf of Israel. Let's begin our class right there. Here's Pastor Steve. Well, what's the point? What is the forest here? What's the main message? Why is Habakkuk remembering God's acts of deliverance towards Israel in the past? I mean, isn't it true what's past is past? Well, no, it's not true. In a sense it is, but it's not true that what's past is past and we we don't uh, have anything to do with it anymore. No. You see, if God, and here's the prophet's thinking, and this is wonderful, if, if God acted this way in the past, powerfully, triumphantly, victoriously, and all of that, then in light of Babylon's coming invasion, Habakkuk can trust God to work it out in the future. If God was so mighty in the past, that's the foundation for believing he'll be mighty in the future. That's how Habakkuk faces the future, and that's how you and I have to face the future. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever in terms of his nature, in terms of his character, in terms of his attributes. 
God's past performances provided a solid basis for Habakkuk to trust God's to act in the future in a similar way. If he's savior in the past, he'll be savior in the future. If he's deliverer in the past, he'll be deliverer in the future. That's that's his point. And this is a very common exercise for biblical writers to do. Biblical writers did this. David, you recall when David was, was had his back up against the wall and Saul was chasing after him, David would start out a psalm by saying something like this, oh, it's terrible, oh, everybody's against me, my enemies have turned on me, and then he begins to recount, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, but you're the God who brought us out of Egypt. You're the God who raised up Moses. You're the God who parted the Red Sea. I don't have any problems anymore. I forgot. Oh, yeah, you can handle Saul. By the time he's finished with his psalm, he's rejoicing. Why? Because he's remembered who God is and how he's worked in the past. Turn your Bibles back in the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah was another prophet with a problem. Jeremiah lived about the same time as Habakkuk, and he struggled with the same thing. The Babylonians were going to come in, Israel, Judah was going to be devastated. And, uh, but God revealed to, to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to restore the nation. I'm going to bring the nation back from Babylon. Jeremiah actually had more revealed to him than Habakkuk. And I'm going to bring Judah back into her land. In fact, God even told him after 70 years, he even told him when, because Daniel the prophet later on read that while he was in Babylon. They knew when they would come back. And in chapter 32, verse 17, let's just read that for a little while and you'll understand. Jeremiah doesn't, doesn't know how God's going to do this. He can't reconcile in his mind how devastation's going to come, and it is. It's, they're breaking down the doors right now, and yet, God, you're going to restore us? He doesn't understand that, how it's going to work out. He says, verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing's too difficult for thee. What's he doing? He's saying, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with God's, how God's going to pull this whole thing off. But wait a minute. You're the God who made the heavens and the earth. I don't have a problem. Verse 18. And he goes on. Who showest loving kindness to thousands, but repayest the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the, so of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his seed. He's just rehearsing the way God is. Who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind. And thou hast made a name for thyself as uh, at, uh, as at this day, and thou dost bring thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with the strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and gavest them this land, which thou didst swear to their forefathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. He's just rehearsing God. This is what you've done. This is the way you are. And they came in and they took possession of it, but they did not obey thy voice or walk in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore, thou hast made all this calamity come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have reached the city to take it. I mean, right now he's saying they're breaking down the wall. And the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword, the famine and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken has come to pass. And behold, thou seest, you see it, Lord. And thou hast said to me, 
O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. God said, Jeremiah, buy some lands. Jeremiah said, why do I need this real estate when everything's going to be devastated? It's God's God's sign to him, and it's to be a sign to Israel, you're coming back to this land. Buy it. I mean, property was real cheap at that point. Buy it. (laughs) Nobody else wants it. And it was a sign that, that Jeremiah believed God that the people are coming back 70 years later. But Jeremiah doesn't understand how God's going to pull this off. And God, he's just rehearsing. Lord, but I know you're great. I know you're wonderful. Then verse 16, verse 26 rather says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The answer is no. And in chapter 33, verse 3, I love this verse, and you must understand the context. The context is Jeremiah saying, I don't understand. And God says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah said, I don't know. God said, I understand you don't know. Call unto me and I'll explain it to you. But it's in light of the fact that Jeremiah does just what Habakkuk did. He rehearses the past uh, of Israel's history. He says... In our terminology, why sweat when God has done this in the past? Marvelous truth. You want to know how to rejoice when the circumstances are so terrible that you've got tears in your eyes and in your heart? You reminisce in your minds about how God has worked in your past. How he's brought you through deep problems in the past. How he's delivered you when you face former seemingly impossible situations. There was a time in your life, perhaps, when finances were so bad you didn't know how you're going to pay your bills. How you were going to eat. You didn't know how God could possibly deliver you, but he did. You reminisce on that. God who did it back then can do it again. Or you had such a family crisis, you didn't know how God was going to do and could do anything in that situation, but he did. You didn't know how you were going to survive to the next day. And yet God intervened and God delivered you and God did something mighty and wonderful. And you have to remember that the past is not just the past. The past is to is to focus on. So we learn about the God who works in the past as well as the present and future. You had theological doubts. You wondered even if God existed. You wondered if the Bible was the word of God. You really struggled. You couldn't reconcile some things and God delivered you in his own gracious way, in his own gracious timing. But let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond your your own personal deliverance. When you face incredibly unsurmountable situations, start reviewing in your mind the God of the Bible. History in the Bible is important. There are liberal theologians who say biblical history is not the issue. The issue is get the message. We want faith. You cannot separate the message from the historical facts. You cannot separate salvation, for instance, from the the story and the doctrine and the the message and the historical facts of Adam and Eve. Paul doesn't in Romans chapter 5. He links them together. So, So biblical history is important. You cannot separate faith from biblical history. So you go back to the Bible and you start reviewing in your mind what God has done in the past throughout Bible history. You say something like this, Lord, I've got a tremendous problem. But wait a minute. I remember you're the God who made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. You're the God who sent judgments on this world in the form of a flood. You're the God who uh, who who called Abram to be a great nation when he was a nobody 
And he was one person. And now it's a, it's a nation. You're the God who, who delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. Oh, oh yeah, you're the God who, uh, who parted the Red Sea. You're the God also who sent the Lord Jesus Christ. You came to earth in the person of Christ and you died for our sins. And you're the God who rose again the third day. You're the God who ascended back into heaven. And you're the God who sent the apostles forth in the power and energy of the Holy Spirit. And you're the God who inspired the scriptures. I don't have a problem after that. What problem do I have when I remember this is the God who's done all that? You're the God who took Israel into, into her land, took her out of her land, brought her back to her land. You see, if you start rehearsing these redemptive events in your mind, and you find yourself rejoicing because you'll see a big God. And when your God is big, your problem is little. Amen. When your God is little, your problem is big. I remember hearing the story of the great uh, Presbyterian pastor and Bible teacher, one of my favorites, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who said that after he graduated from seminary, he was allowed to come back and speak in chapel one day. And there in chapel sat one of his professors, and he just sat there. And I'm sure Barnhouse was intimidated by the man, though it's hard to imagine if you knew of any, anything of Donald Gray Barnhouse, and anybody could intimidate him. But afterwards, he went to the professor and uh, he said, why did you stay? Why did you sit here? Why did you why did you look at me like you were critiquing me? He said, everybody who graduates from seminary, I want to hear them with and uh, give one message. And the reason is I want to see if they have a big God. You have a big God. You'll do OK. He said there are some who have little gods. They don't have, in other words, a, view, a high view of the sovereignty of God. And when you don't have a high view of the sovereignty of God, then you've got major problems. If your God can do anything, you've got little problems that he can take care of. If your God is, is, has his hands tied because of man's ways, then you've got big problems because you don't have a God who can handle them. So you start rehearsing. And listen, for us, it goes more than Israel. We, if you know Christ, we are his children. God is faithful. He's a loving father. If you're his child and he's faithful and taking care of you, and you've got to remember what he's done in the past. You've got to remember that he's the one who's taking care of you when nobody else cared about you. He's the one who has done in the past for you what no one else would do. And so that gives you great confidence to face anything, absolutely anything in the future. And that's what happened to Habakkuk. The first step in rejoicing when there are tears in your eyes is submit to God's will in the present. The second step is remember God's work in the past. And the third and final step after submitting and remembering, you and I are to trust God's word for the future. That's what Habakkuk did. Trust God's work for the future. You see, there are steps. You can't just jump to the, to the third one without building on the first and the second. Trust God's word for the future. Verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound. My lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. One of the things I love about Habakkuk and in fact, all biblical characters is that they're so human. Habakkuk's so human. This verse tells us that he's scared. He is really scared as he awaits the coming invasion of Babylon. His stomach is trembling. His lips, he says, are quivering. His nervous system is in a mess. The man's a nervous wreck. I think that's so human. He, physically, he's falling apart. That's what he's saying. And no one can blame him for it. No one can say, how unspiritual, Habakkuk. 
That's how unspiritual. But you see, he knows what the future is going to bring. He, he's going to see women and children mercilessly killed. He's going to see his friends murdered, loved ones carried off to a foreign country. You can't expect him to, uh, to just be very, very calm in the midst of what's coming. That, that's abnormal. It's no wonder he's coming apart physically. However, don't interpret that to mean that the man spiritually is not walking with the Lord. You and I cannot control the physical reactions to things like this, but we can control our spiritual responses. You can be a complete wreck physically and yet in your heart respond properly to the Lord. Remember what Jesus said when the disciples uh, did not stay up and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said this. Wonderful words. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in their hearts. They're responding properly, but their eyes are closing. Don't take a hint from them, by the way. I just this late hour, just, you know, nudge anybody who might apply that personally to their lives. But you see, you can respond physically and, and who can blame this? The prophet. However, spiritually, you can respond without falling apart. Spiritual responses to the trials of life. And this is how the prophet responded. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yields of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the folds and there be no cattle in the stalls. Let, let's just stop there a moment. What's Habakkuk describing? He's describing devastation in an agricultural culture. He doesn't live in a big modern city. He lives in an agricultural culture. And he says the fig, the fig tree will be gone, though the fruit will be gone. The olives gone, the flocks gone, the cattle all gone, though that should happen. He says this means the ends of an agricultural Culture. It's over. It's finished. The worst that could happen has happened. They survived on this. They didn't go down to the local supermarket. I mean, this is it. It's over. Though all this would happen. Yet what does he say in verse 18 and 19? Though the end is coming, devastation will be upon us. We don't know where our next meal will come from. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. It's great. Great. I've been meditating on this this week. It's great. Complete trust in God's word. He knows that nothing can destroy his relationship with God. They may take everything else from me. But nothing can sever God's relationship with me and mine with him. No matter what happens, he knows that God's word speaks of a future for God's people. No matter what they do, he knows that the God who delivered Israel in the past will somehow deliver her in the future. And so let the chips fall where they may. He is ready. He knows that God has promised to give his people strength in every situation, stability and ultimate victory. He is trusting in God's word. The God whose word reveals that he delivered his people in the past will somehow deliver his people in the future. That is marvelous. That is a truth we need to lay hold of. If you want to rejoice when circumstances dictate otherwise, you must trust God for the future. Trust him for the future. Depend on his word when he says that you can cast all cares upon him. You do that. You trust him. 
He'll give you the strength you need. And listen, when you need it, he won't give you the strength to face the future until the future comes. He'll give you the grace when you need it, but you trust in his word and and you will have the great peace that he gives. So let me put it in, in 20th century language. Though I lose my job and the economy falls and tragedy strikes my family, I will rejoice in the Lord God, my salvation. If Habakkuk lived today, that's what he'd say. You see, this is the Old Testament equivalent of Philippians chapter four. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can't do everything on my own, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No matter what happens, I know that nothing can sever my relationship with God. He compares himself, by the way. He says that he makes me uh, my feet like hinds feet. That is the feet of a gazelle, a deer, swift footed, strong, stable. Oblivious. In a sense, to the circumstances around the gazelle as they run to higher ground and nothing stops them. Is that your attitude? Rejoicing, trusting, not in the circumstances, but in your relationship with the Lord. Trusting his word for the future. You don't know what the future is going to bring, but you need to trust him now. His word reveals he's worked in the past and we know we can trust him to work in the future. That's our God. That's the way he is. He never changes. Even if all hell itself breaks loose, we can trust his word. He's proven it in the past. So how do you face life circumstances with joy? You submit to his will in the present. You remember his work in the past in your own life and in biblical redemptive history. And you trust his word for the future. But, you know, you can never really rejoice unless you know Christ. If, if you are a visitor, if you are a curiosity seeker about Christianity, about Christ, you'll never know. This will this will mean nothing to you unless you know the person of Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. Not religion. Not even believing the Bible. You must know Christ. You may believe the Bible, but if you don't, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, this will mean nothing to you. It'll mean nothing. I don't know how anybody can face the future in any way apart from knowing Christ, knowing what the Bible has to say about some of the things in the future. We invite you to trust Jesus Christ as the one who died for your sins, the one who wants you to come to him and have a relationship with him as Lord and as Savior. When trouble looms ahead, our perspective often gets twisted, making the future seem more frightening than it should. I remember the first time I went in the big bucket lift in the factory where I used to work. I had seen others working up there, 30 feet or so in the air, inside a small basket supported by a massive machine on the floor. But when I went up there the first time, the sizes seemed reversed. It seemed that I and the bucket were as big as a truck, and the machine supporting me looked like a small toy. Once I convinced myself that nothing had changed size, it was only my location that was different. I could work with confidence, knowing that the machine down on the floor was a lot bigger than it looked. When we are in the midst of a big bucket of trouble, it is a great help to remember that God is the same great God we saw working in our past and in the lives of others. God is bigger than he looks, no matter how small we may see him at the time. 
I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse and the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's series of lessons from the book of Habakkuk. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. If you are in Clearwater or nearby on a Sunday morning and don't have a church home, we invite you to come worship with us and stay around after the service so Pastor Steve can meet you. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between US-19 and the beaches. These daily radio classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by caring listeners like you. If these classes have blessed you and you'd like to help us keep them on the air, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have a link there that will take you to a page with information about how and why you can give. Also on the website are hundreds of audio files, including today's class. While you are at it, you might like to sign up for our free podcasting service. Once more, the web address is versebyverseradio.org. To hear the entire message that Pastor Steve just concluded, call us at 727 727- 239-0306 and order a cassette or an audio CD. Once again, that number is 727-239-0306. This is Jerry Pruden inviting you to join us for the next Verse by Verse and the start of a new series of lessons from God's Word. We are here to give you strength between Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.